Hey, everybody. Welcome to the BetUS NFL show. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by expert football handicappers Las Vegas Chris on your left and Scott Kellen on your right if you're watching us on YouTube. And guys, right off the top, as the saying goes in the NFL, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have any. But the Patriots, with their preseason showing last night, are becoming quite an interesting story with that competition between Cam Newton and Mac Jones. Yeah, Matt, uh, it's interesting. And I think, um, I don't think we're going to know. We know we know the way Belichick plays this. I don't think we're going to know almost until that week one Sunday, potentially, who's going to be their starting quarterback, which kind of, you know, complicates this a little bit, uh, even for a week one game against New England, because there's no reason for Belichick to show his hand uh, in that game, uh, you know, until that, that Sunday arrives. So that's the thing that I think will be very interesting here. And like I said, it kind of complicates, um, you know, how you handicap New England. But Matt Jones has looked very, very good, looked apart. Um, and he's going to give Cam Newton certainly a run to possibly play. I agree. Yeah, and Chris, we can uh, set you up to speak to this in a moment when we get to the Cardinals. So that's a bit of a spoiler alert. On this episode, we'll be providing a comprehensive preview of the NFC West here at BetUS, where the game begins. But before we kick things off, I've got something to tell you about. Make sure you sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 to claim your 125% sign-up bonus. That's exclusive for sports betting, good up to $2,500. To take advantage of the offer and get info on the terms and conditions, you can just check out the link below this video. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the BetUS YouTube channel. Odds are you know the drill. Hit that notification bell as well so you don't miss any of the exclusive content we'll be posting. And if you enjoy this video, Go ahead and give us a thumbs up. So, guys, now we can dig into the NFC West, and let's start with the Arizona Cardinals. We can take a look at some of their season-long odds. Uh, they're quite a long shot to win the Super Bowl or the NFC, but we can see them at plus 500 to win a pretty competitive-looking NFC West. Regular season wins, 8.5, juiced slightly to the over. And, Chris, with the Cardinals this season, I think the big question is whether or not Kyler Murray can take that next step. Well, I apologize. I can't control Amber alerts on my phone. So <laughs> kind of uh, the, oh, literally you cannot okay. turn them off. So uh, the uh, the perils of the unexpected. So I apologize for that. Uh, didn't matter what I did. I couldn't shut it off. So uh, I, we were talking about New England and uh, uh, I was interested to read that New England is considered responsible for kind of spoiling Arizona's season a little bit because they came out with a uh, a speed type uh, comeback to Air what Arizona was doing up to that point. They had started the season five and two and everything was looking great. And then New England, uh, Belichick had a perfect game plan for him and everybody copied it afterwards. So uh, uh, that's one thing to take note. Uh, coming into this year, are they going to make the adjustments uh, that uh, they didn't make last year, uh, or are they going to, you know, do the same? You know, are they going to have the same finishes they had last year? So that's something that I'm going to be looking at. But uh, I, I consider this division the other Yahtzee division. The more I read on these teams, I, I spent more time on this division than any other division. And the more I read, the less I have to really definitively say about any of these teams. Uh, I think any one of these teams can uh, 
you know, can do very well or very bad. I, it, it's uh, I, a lot of it's going to be up to Murray. And uh, he's I remember every time I bet against Murray, he's the one player that just scares the hell out of you. I, I think the guy is very underrated. I know, Matt, you have a you'd like to bet against him for MVP. But if Arizona won the division or had a, a really good year, he's the type of guy that's going to get all the attention every week. And he's got that explosiveness. He's scary. And he's the one guy, if you're betting against Arizona and they're on that two-minute drill, you're just you're sweating bullets. I mean, you really are. And uh, uh, it's just something that concerns me with that. And then one last thing about Murray. He's one of those, believe it or not, you'd never believe it, he's one of those bad ball quarterbacks that has actually had bad luck. He actually played, he's throwing fewer than 10% bad balls. And he's getting, he was getting intercepted at a higher rate than he should have. So he's actually due for fewer uh, interceptions if uh, things hold true. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. And with that Murray bet, what stuck out to me was when Circa posted its MVP bets to, you know, look ahead to the season. Props to them for offering a two-way market. And I was really blown away to see Murray. I believe their opening number was eight to one. That's a lot of love for him in the MVP market. So I saw that the no would be 15 to one, obviously Circa building in a bit of a hold. And if I could get that graded tomorrow, I, I would play it. I feel like that number should be closer to 30 to 1 on the no. That said, I'm not in a rush to lay that kind of juice on the sidelines for six plus months before the bet gets graded. I think just putting that money in, you know, in a general market index fund or a lot of other ways that you can get a better return on investment over the course of, you know, the time it's going to take between now and the NFL MVP being awarded. But that said, Scott, there's a lot about this team uh, that, you know, kind of worked for them last year. Some things worked against them. A mixed bag, as it is in many cases. How are you looking at Arizona as we approach the 2021 season? Yeah, you know, Chris brought it up. You know, they played New England and, um, you know, whether it's New England schemed them and then the rest of the NFL took advantage, which we know it's a copycat league. But, you know, even when they were, you know, playing fairly well halfway through the season, I felt that they were kind of overachieving from where they really were. And uh, Kyler Murray, I think, is very dynamic. Um, I don't know that I, I don't know that their head coach is a great head coach. I don't know if their scheme that they run offensively is a great scheme uh, in the NFL. I think it can, you know, present some problems for them as well. So all that stuff to me is is a little bit questionable. But, you know, like Chris said, Murray can do anything and everything. Um, and he can scare the hell out of you, um, if you're, especially if you're betting against him. But when I look at Arizona last year, trying to kind of compare them to this year, they win eight games last year. Uh, you know, if we look at like their Pythagorean number, especially if we extrapolate that out, if uh, over a 17-game schedule, seeing we're playing an extra game this year, that would extrapolate out to 9.6 wins for them. So they actually fairly, fairly decently underachieved um, you know, last year uh, in terms of the wins they got versus maybe what they should have got. They were four and four in close games, so uh, nothing sticks out there. But they have a pretty difficult schedule this year, uh, and they have 12 games against teams that are projected to win eight and a half or more games, which means they've only got five games against teams that are projected to win less than eight and a half games. And where that stands out for me is last year, they were only two and four straight up versus teams above 500, 
They were six and four straight up against teams below 500. And, you know, Chris pointed this out when we did the NFC East uh, review in terms of how lucky Washington got in their schedule last year playing uh, a lot of teams with missing quarterbacks and whatnot. When I look at Arizona's schedule last year, they beat San Francisco in week one, quality win. San Francisco, for the most part, was pretty healthy in that game. Then they beat Washington with Haskins. Uh, they beat the Jets. They beat Dallas. I think Chris was playing offensive line for Dallas in that Monday night game. Uh, you know, they had no offensive line. Um, then just looking here, they beat the Giants. Danny Jones played, but Daniel Jones, he didn't play the game before that in the game after that. Remember, he was hobbled. So his mobility was completely limited in that game. And for an Arizona team that, you know, could put pressure on the quarterback, especially with a bad offensive line, the Giants weren't really set up to play well in that one. Then they play Philly with Jalen Hurts playing, I think, only his second game. And it was actually a relatively close game. They beat Seattle 37-34 in that Sunday night game. I had Arizona in that game, but I felt extremely fortunate to win that game because Seattle was dominating that game in the first half. And then, of course, they get the Hail Mary win over Buffalo. So it, the jury's still out for me in Arizona. And now you you add a very tough schedule. Um and again, you know, I don't know what to think with Kyler Murray yet, quite yet. He's obviously a very good quarterback, but uh, I'm neutral on their over-under season wins, and I've got to see a little bit more before I can get too bullish on Arizona just based on what I've seen up to this point so far. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I feel like we're all relatively neutral on the Cardinals right now. But one angle that's interesting to me, I was listening to Adam Chernoff's podcast, The Simple Handicap. He noted the Cardinals are losing a lot of production in their secondary and Scott, you mentioned they've got a tough schedule. That schedule is particularly tough when it comes to attacking what could be a big weakness in the secondary for the Arizona defense. On the other side of the ball, we know that Cliff Kingsbury likes to run at a quick tempo. So a possible angle for the Cardinals to be an over team. And at the same time, it's pretty well known Arizona doesn't have a great defense and they like to run up tempo on offense. So that might be priced in. How do you feel about this possibly being something to look at early in the season, maybe some Cardinals overs, or is that something that we can assume would be priced in from the get-go? Uh, I don't know that it'll necessarily be priced in from the get-go, although this team you know, probably has a perception of being higher scoring to a degree. So maybe, I guess, that just in general. And I'd have to look, um, look at their schedule here just to kind of see who they're playing uh, early on as well. Um, you know, they're, they're playing Tennessee, all right? So that we, we know what that could happen. Minnesota, uh, that defense should be improved, but a pretty good offense, obviously. Um, Jacksonville Rams. So I think part of it, you know, too, Matt would just come into play in terms of who they're playing within that schedule as well. But I think it's a decent thought. I mean, uh, just to kind of extrapolate on that a little bit, you know, you look at the Vikings last year, um, which was a very good defense typically with Mike Zimmer, but shockingly, they got rid of everybody in their secondary for the most part last year. And it, it didn't even take like a half in the first game of the season to realize this team was going to be in trouble in the secondary. And it probably still took a few weeks, you know, for the market to really fully grasp that this team that normally has a good defense wasn't going to be as good. So, I mean, we could see something very similar to that with Arizona as well, uh, to your point. Yeah, so maybe nothing to play on the Cardinals right now, but some some stuff to watch early on. We could get some pretty clear signal from the outset with the Cardinals. And I think now we can move on and talk about uh, moving on to probably the three heavyweights in the division. Of course, Arizona still got a chance, but the favorite in the NFC West, the LA Rams. Let's take a look at their odds. And it's interesting because even though they're favored to win the division, 
uh, or, or they're pretty tight with the Niners and Seahawks. I guess it's not right to say that there's a clear favorite. Plus 200, this is a division, unlike the AFC West we previewed earlier this week, where Kansas City was that runaway favorite. Regular season win number for the Rams, 10 and a half, juiced slightly to the under. And Scott, this is another team where the quarterback is probably going to be the key to what they can accomplish this season. Obviously, moving from Goff to Stafford, what are you expecting that impact to be for the Los Angeles Rams? Well, I, you know, Stafford, I think, is an upgrade. Um, we know Stafford is kind of, I don't want to say got a bad rap. A lot of it's probably deserved that, you know, you, you can't beat good teams and whatnot. But let's remember that was with Detroit, and we know what that organization's all about. So, you know, hey. this will be the true test. <laughs> That's right. Chris is a Lions fan. Uh, we were talking, by the way, yesterday. I was at that Hail Mary game. That that was great. So, um, and, uh, but you know, I've always said when Jared Goff was there, that offense is a quarterback-friendly offense. It's a lot of play action. It's designed to really put the quarterback in a favorable position to throw to open people. And so, you know, a Jared Goff, for example, can do fairly well in that offense. But we also know Jared Goff was somewhat limited. Stafford brings another level of ability to that offense that I would like to think he has the ability to really take that offense to – to the next level, just, you know, it's kind of like Aaron Rodgers with Green Bay. It's a very similar type of offense. And, um, but it did take Rodgers a year to really, you know, they, they were 13 and three that first year, but they were pretty average on offense. And then of course, last year, all that went to another level. So that, that might be the other question here. Although Stafford's obviously been around forever. How quickly does he pick that offense up and do they run with that offense? But I think, you know, he, he obviously has a much higher ceiling than Jared Goff ever had. And this offense is designed to make quarterbacks really thrive in it as well. Yeah, I think that's well said. And on the other side, Chris, while there's a much higher ceiling as got touched on, there could also be a little bit of turbulence, especially early on with some of the changes the Rams are going through on that side of the ball. Well, you know, I was really happy for Stafford going to the Rams because I'm a, I'm a Ram. I really enjoyed betting the Rams over the last couple of years. And, uh, I, I don't know what it is. I just like the Rams, so I, it, it was a good spot for him to land. But boy, did everybody fall in love with him and anoint him all of a sudden a top-tier quarterback. Uh, and he hasn't really, I think he can do well, but we don't know for sure. And he has he, he doesn't stay healthy for the entire season. And the Rams have lost a lot. They They lost six coaches. And you can go completely around from offense to defense, everywhere, they don't have any depth. I mean, if they, and you're looking at a team over the recent years that's lost the most amount of games, number two in the league, number one in the league, number eight in the league, number four in the league, first and first. So every single year they're losing players. They, you know, it must be something in the water. So are they all of a sudden gonna stay healthy? And they have no depth anywhere. I don't know. You know, they're they're traded. They're trading all their draft picks away. They're not adding people where they need to. Uh, I I just I I I just don't think. I think if anything goes wrong in this division, it's going to come from the Rams. I honestly believe. Looking at their schedule, they've got a lot of difficulties and. It, it, it's not going to surprise me. I, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to get to 10. I mean, when I look at the schedule, I say maybe they can get to 10, but I don't think so. So I'm a little pessimistic on the Rams for some reason. 
Yeah, I, I think there is a lot of upside as Scott touched on, but to your point, also we're dealing with a lot of turnover and it could be pretty high impact turnover. Of course, we are expecting an upgrade at quarterback, but Scott, there are a lot of pretty high profile names that you can list on both sides of the ball that uh, could be causing the Rams to go through some adjustments, maybe some growing pains early on this season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and I bet on them a lot last year as well. Like Chris said, you know, that, that defense was lights out last year. But that figures to possibly regress a little bit. You know, Chris kind of hit on it. You hit on it, Matt. They lost Johnson at safety. They lost Troy Hill uh, in, in the secondary. Um, and then on offense, you know, they've lost uh, Everett at the tight end, who was one of their uh, better tight ends. Malcolm Brown's now gone. Um, and, of course, they had the injury to the other running back as well. They lost a guard who was very good. Um, so, you know, they've added Deshaun Jackson. But, you know, who knows with Deshaun Jackson, obviously. So, and they lost Brockers, you know, who wasn't, great on defense last year for him but you know to your point that starts to you know that's depth right and also now you start getting an injury and you don't have a brockers there to help out uh you're just going down to the next level on your depth chart and so yeah i think they could regress a little bit on defense as well um, and this team was kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde last year. You know, they were four and two straight up against playoff teams, six and four straight up against non-playoff teams. So on both sides of the ledger there, they're pretty good. They beat Tampa Bay. They beat Seattle. Um, and they've had Seattle's number forever, by the way. Uh, but then they lose to the Jets. They lose to San Francisco twice. Maybe some of that's Jared Goff. I don't know. Um, they're a little hard to figure. And, you know, to your point, um, you start to lose some of these players and, and their defense kind of carried them for a, for the most part, if that defense can't quite carry them, then yeah, maybe they come in uh, a little bit lower than you know what they came in last year. Yeah, I think it's another team, a common thread for today's preview with the NFC West. There, there are a lot of pros and cons to weigh out. It might be you know a little boring to some that we don't have a lot of big bets to proclaim at this stage, but I think it's important just to be aware of the fact that you know, there are reasons they could take a big leap forward. Stafford could be a major upgrade and mesh really well with McVay's system, but with a lot of turnover and likely some injury luck regression coming their way against Scott Utech, and we've already seen Cam Akers go down. You know, there are reasons that things could go either way for the Rams. So it's going to be a fascinating watch, but probably is more prudent to be in wait-and-see mode with the Rams for now. Another team in this division with, you know, some similar storylines. We can look at the San Francisco 49ers. Let's take a look at their odds for the 2021 season. To win the division, they're actually a little bit more of a favorite than the Rams, but still a plus number, plus 175, and a flat 10 and a half for their regular season win number. Chris, another team with some big questions at quarterback. What do you make of the Jimmy G versus Trey Lance decision facing San Francisco? Well, I, I think that they go through and, and they stick with Jimmy G. I, I, don't, I don't really know why they wouldn't uh he they were 13 and 3 in 2019 and last year was a messed up year i mean uh they were decimated by injuries and they had the foundation if they can stay healthy of being a very good team uh, they're only not favored in two games this year according to what i'm looking at and their win totals only 10, 10 and a half. Something doesn't make sense. I went through up and down the schedule and I can't find more than three or four losses. I mean, I, they have the easiest schedule in the NFL this year. The, I mean, if you go up and down the schedule, it, it just, it's favorable for them. And 
So I'm optimistic on them, but the problem is they have the same problem that uh, the Rams do, uh, where they have eight straight years of being in the bottom third in injury luck. So they're getting banged up. And if Kittle goes out, Kittle is one of those, you know, one of those guys that really matters on that team. Boy, is he a bread and butter go-to guy. And when he's out of that lineup, that really changed a lot of things. Uh, but, you know, on the surfaces, at a first look, I, I have to be optimistic on San Francisco. Yeah, and Scott, Chris touched on the fact that last year was a debacle for them. I think we'd all agree there. But when we dig a little bit deeper into the numbers, talking about Pythagorean record, record in close games, things could show that it could be a pretty quick rebound for the Niners after a precipitous fall in 2020. Yeah, I'm with Chris on this. You know, they they win six games last year. We know that game, uh, that season was just a debacle for them, as Chris said. But, you know, when you look at their Pythagorean number, uh, it was actually very good. And if I extrapolate that out over 17 games, that would have, would have translated to 8.1 wins this year. So that would have been actually a, a little over two wins more than what they won uh, last year. They were one in three in close wins. So, you know, maybe that gets a little bit better for them. Uh, as Chris said, they have basically the easiest schedule in the league this year. They only have eight games against a teams projected to win eight and a half or more games. And remember, they finished in last place. So just thinking about this, maybe from their division and then just as a whole, uh, they get the last place teams in the other respective divisions. So they're going to get Philadelphia. They're going to get Atlanta. The rest of their teams in division are going to obviously get the teams that finish first, second, or third within those divisions. And then remember, we've got that extra game this year. So now you play a team over in the other conference. Well, lo and behold, they get Cincinnati, who finished last in the North. And we know we got three other really good teams in the AFC North that the rest of the division is going to have to take on. And then everybody in their division gets Detroit, Houston, and Jacksonville. So this is a really easy schedule for San Francisco. You look at Garoppolo, he was, as much as a debacle as last year was, he was 2-1 and one straight up in their games last year that he played 100% of the snaps. A couple other games he got hurt and had to leave early. And if you look back at his time with San Francisco, he's 21-4 and four straight up in games that he played, let's just call it 90% or more of the snaps. Some of those games, they've been way ahead and he's come out. Um, but in games that he's played the majority of the snaps, He's 21 and four straight up. Now, I don't know that that continues to go that way. And, you know, obviously the rest of the team has played a part in that. My problem with Garoppolo, he's in another system that's very quarterback friendly. But if they get behind, I don't know that he can bring a team. I don't think he's that talented to bring a team from behind. We saw that in the Super Bowl against Kansas City. Once they, I was on San Francisco in that game. Once they got behind and they couldn't really run the play action that makes him successful. It was very tough when they knew he was going to throw the ball. He could not lead the team down the field. And that 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 is a problem, I think, ever going with Garoppolo. But if we look at their schedule, it's a very easy schedule. And they may not be behind in a lot of games. So they can play out in front. They can do everything they want to do from an offensive schematic standpoint. And Garoppolo can thrive. And then what you don't know, of course, is you know where Trey Lance comes into this whole thing. But I think if, he's, if Garoppolo is doing well, like Chris said, they're probably going to roll the dice with Garoppolo until they're forced to make a change. Because once you make that change, I don't know if you go back and they probably don't want to do that until they absolutely have to. Uh, they were the unluckiest team last year in injuries, as Chris said. They were minus 11 in turnovers and they um, fumbled the ball the second most amount of times uh, next to the Raiders last year. So some of that maybe plays back as fumbles are random for them. 
uh, as well. Last thing I'll say here is I like to look at teams as far as their yards per play and what they average versus what their teams, uh, the teams that they played allowed and, and give up. So you look at them last year, despite all their problems last year, they averaged 5.7 yards of play. The teams collectively that they played allowed 5.4 yards of play. So they were still above average on offense last year. And defensively, they only gave up five yards of play. And the teams that they played averaged 5.5 yards of play. So again, they were above average on defense at the line of scrimmage. It was the turnovers, and they really couldn't get any pass rush going that really, uh, along with the injuries, of course, that really sidelined their season. But with everyone coming back, they stay healthy in this easy schedule. Uh, I agree. I think it's nothing but the limit. The sky's the limit for um, for San Francisco this year, potentially. Yeah, and I think that we all see a lot of reason for optimism. But something we talked about in the AFC West preview earlier this week, that number in the marketplace can be the great equalizer because we're projecting a four and a half win increase year over year so it is kind of priced in at this point just because we're optimistic doesn't mean that we're telling everybody to go bang the overs on san francisco right out of the gates and i guess to wrap things up with the niners chris we can kind of go full circle with where we started the quarterback situation i know there's a lot of reason to keep jimmy g for stability and easy schedule and and you don't need to maybe stir the pot too much but a common narrative across the sports media landscape is that the Niners really went out on a limb. They traded a lot to get the number three pick. So they've kind of stuck their neck out for Trey Lance. So contrasting that narrative with what you think about their schedule and, and what Jimmy G can do to kind of steady the ship, what do you think the long-term prospects are for their quarterback dynamic? I mean, do you think this is a year where even though they invested so much to get Lance, they would really just let him sit the whole season? I, I don't know why they can't uh, let him sit and learn. I mean, it, that's the way it used to be. And uh, let him learn. I, I've got no no issue with that at all. I don't see why there's a, a rush. I think, you know, that's just going to cause problems in Chicago also. Uh, you know, we'll talk more about that when we get to the NFC Central. But uh, I, you know what? I, I boy, they make a mountain out of a molehill. You know, if Jimmy doesn't do his job, then you try him out. But uh, why, why, why wouldn't you? With his success, why would you? Why are you forcing him out? You know, it, it makes no sense. It, it, it seems completely illogical. But maybe there's injury concerns that we don't know about, and they think he's fragile, and they wanted their backup. That that's perfectly logical, also. So we don't really know, but what's going to be important for the Rams, horrible on special teams. They have to do better on that. That's that's one of the areas where they were at the bottom of the league also. Uh, and like uh, like Scott said, they don't get to the quarterback. They only had 30 sacks last year, and they played, you know, teams that they should have been able to do that against. So uh, uh, I guess that's about it. I, I, I think this is one of the teams, if they don't have any injury nightmares, I think this is the most dependable team in the division as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I might have heard you say the Rams there, but of course with the Niners and their their ability to pressure the quarterback, the reason I circle this back to the Niners specifically is because if they can get anything close to a full season out of Nick Bosa, that might make a huge difference for them up front as well. Yeah. So 
I think we've covered about all the ground we can right now with the Niners. We can get to the fourth and final team in the division. No question about who's going to be under center for them as long as he stays healthy. Of course, that would be Russell Wilson leading the charge with the Seattle Seahawks as we take a look at their odds for this season. Another team that's just a short plus number to win the division, plus 250, regular season win total, another NFC West team in double digits, a flat 10 for the Seattle Seahawks. And Scott, there was some offseason drama with Russell Wilson, but how do you expect that to play out or maybe not be so much of a factor once they get the season rolling shortly here? I think they'll be fine with that. Russell Wilson, you know, he's he's a pro and, you know, that guy, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Russell Wilson be a negative guy. And, you know, once the season gets going, I think they'll be fine there. You know, have they helped the offensive line? They, they added some stuff there. Uh, we'll see. I mean, that was certainly a weakness to them. You know, when they played the Rams last year, even the game they beat the Rams, the Rams kind of, you know, Goff kind of almost gave them the game. I mean, the Rams just crushed them, uh, you know, at the line from a defensive line to the offensive line standpoint. So, We'll see. I don't know if they've improved that enough, um, you know, uh, with everything there. They have picked up some help on defense, which, you know, maybe it will help them on defense as well. But um, I think, you know, I, I think Russell will be fine. Um, the guy's a pro. And, uh, you know, if, if there was any rift, uh, you know, during the offseason, I think that's that's done, long gone, and, and they will go forward uh, like they do every single year. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said. And Chris, what are you looking for beyond what we already know about Russell Wilson to get a pulse on the Seahawks this season? You know, I never have a pulse on Seattle. I, you know, I thought they would crash and burn and they started last year out uh, very well, unexpectedly. Uh, they're the one team that actually got screwed in this division. Every, all the other teams in the league uh, have positive rest. Seattle is the one team in the division that doesn't have positive rest. They play two teams coming off their buys. None of the other three teams play uh, teams coming off a buy. They play three primetime games on the road. So they start off the season three out of four on the road. So there are some scheduling quirks that kind of work against them, but the they just find a way to do it every year. They've never had a season where uh, with Wilson, where they've won fewer than nine games in eight years. Uh, I think all but one have been double digits. So uh, I don't know what it is. I can never get a read on this team. I think that they have enough there uh, where they're going to do well. But the defense, which wasn't all that great, somehow ended up number 12 on my rankings last year. How is that possible? Uh you know, the last season was a tale of two seasons because they started off passing. You know, they, you know, the uh, Carroll was, you know, begged by the fans, "Will you pass the ball? Will you pass the ball? Will you pass the ball?" And he did it for the start of the season and had to get away from it, and that changed the whole complexion. They went from, you know, super overs to super unders, and statistically ended up number twelve on my defensive charts. I mean, that's a shocker, but. They, they they didn't I don't think they got stronger on defense so uh, and they did give up you know bad games at times so I just don't know what to expect this entire division is like I said Yahtzee and realistically my job as far as I was concerned is just to look at all these different angles and, and not to be surprised by what can happen. Yeah, and I think just being prepared for any scenario and being well-informed, not going into it blinds, but but understanding that no matter how much information you have, a lot of this will be pretty unpredictable. So kind of 
racing for anything seems like a fair way to go. One thing you touched on, their defense being surprisingly good last year. That's something that tends not to be as predictive year over year as a lot of offensive numbers. And even on the offensive side of the ball, something that's not so predictive year over year that might regress in their favor would be the offensive line. Scott, I know they were weak last year protecting Russell Wilson. Do you see any signs of improvement for that unit in 2021? Well, uh, it's hard to say. I don't. I don't know how much better it's going to get. I mean, they they've added. Um, I think it was Gabe Jackson. I think they brought over there, uh, or some one of the guys from the Raiders. I don't have it on my sheet here, uh, so they might help a little bit. You know, to Chris's point with the defense, I was just looking at their schedule. You know what improved their defense last year, Chris? Was they played the Giants, they played the Jets, they played Washington. Um, and they played the Rams where Goff got hurt halfway through that game. So, you know, you start playing a whole lot of bad offenses and all of a sudden your defense starts getting pretty good. And I think, you know, when you're handicapping games throughout the season, if you can take note of some of that stuff sometimes where, yeah, okay, their defense may not be great. We saw that maybe at the beginning of the year, but all of a sudden you start playing a whole bunch of bad offenses and maybe the totals are projected to be too high relative to the competition that, that they're playing and you can take advantage of some of that stuff. But, you know, they won 12 games last year. Uh, I, I am leaning under in their season wins here, but it's tough because like Chris said, Russell Wilson just gets the job done. Pete Carroll, very good coach. It is a good organization. Here's the things that I'm watching, though, and looking at as I look at, you know, what they've done in recent years going into this year. They, they're Pythagorean. They overachieved by about two wins last year, uh, and they were also seven and three in close wins uh, defined by winning games by or losing games by seven or less points. The year before, they were extremely favorable uh, in close wins as well. So they, you know, two years in a row, I do think that has a chance to come back to earth because um, we, we've seen even good teams don't necessarily win at extraordinary rates in close games. So I think that could come back to earth and hurt them a little bit. Uh, their schedule isn't necessarily super tough. It's 23rd, 25th toughest schedule. But it's also skewed a little bit because they've got the Houston, the Detroits in there. They have 10 games against teams projected to win eight and a half or more games and 13 games against teams projected to win eight or more games, which means they've got four games against some teams that really aren't projected to do that well. The Houston's, the Detroit's of the world, uh, Jacksonville in there as well. I look last year, they were two and two straight up against teams that made the playoffs. They were 10 and two straight up against teams that did not make the playoffs last year. They played 12 of their 16 games against non-playoff teams. So, you know, they had a fairly easy schedule last year. Then I go back and look. In 2019, they were 3-3 three and three straight up against teams that made the playoffs. In 2018, they're 2-4 and four straight up against teams that made the playoffs. 2017, they're 2-4 and four straight up against teams that made the playoffs. So they haven't necessarily performed super well against the best of the best competition. And now this year, they're going to play a whole bunch of potential playoff teams. We don't know. We could get to the end of the year, and they only played six games against teams that made the playoffs. It's all a guessing game. But they potentially have a tougher schedule. Um, and if those most of those teams are playoff teams, at least over the last three, four years, they have not historically shown that they can be better than 500 against those teams. And that could start to make their over-under number tougher to go over. But you're always dealing with Russell Wilson, who has magic and seems to pull it out. Um, and, and Carroll's a good coach. So you're always you're always kind of wrestling against that. But those are the things that I'm looking at with this team this year. Does anything change versus what's happened over the last four years against the better competition? 
Uh, and if it doesn't, you know, they could be in a slight bit of trouble as well. Yeah, I think you guys have both touched on it. When you have a superstar quarterback, there is a, a way of winning games that isn't available to a lot of teams. I'm reminded of the Kansas City preview, again, with the AFC West episode we did earlier this week. Some of those underlying numbers look at Pythagorean record, record in close games. They scream regression, and things do tend to go back to the norm. It's not like Mahomes or Wilson have some secret genetic, you know, clutch code that nobody else has. But at the same time, when you're that good, th there is a way that these teams have of winning. Uh, Chris, I know you had something to chime in with as well. You know, it's shocking. Uh, Seattle was 31st in, in giving up passing yards. They gave up 48 sacks, 67% uh, pass defense. 47% uh, uh, they gave up third down conversions. Uh, they were negative yards. Uh, how do they end up number 12 on my defense against all these crappy teams? I, 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 I need to go back and look at this, and uh, uh, it, it just dumbfounds me. But here's something interesting. On We've talked about it on two previous teams, how bad their special teams are, and Seattle is right there at the top. They've got one of the number one or number two punter, their field goal kicker was 24 out of 24. They were the number two best special teams unit. So if they're facing other special teams units that suck, you know, there's some potential points in there. There's, you know, special, you know, potential big play. So something to look out for uh, with Seattle there. Yeah, I, I would just, I would just add in there, Matt. It's a great point by Chris, right? Yeah, I think. Too often, and I'm guilty of this as well, you kind of overlook the special teams. And then all of a sudden you get in the game and all this stuff starts to manifest itself. And you say, oh my God, like they're missing field goals after they have a nice long drive, right? And all that kind of stuff. And to Chris's point, those points add up very, very quickly, you know, or Seattle's always starting at the 40 yard line because they punted the other team inside the 10 yard line. And then their defense was fortunate enough to hold them. And that stuff shows itself very quickly. Um, and it's something that you, you don't want to overlook. And Chris, I think it sounds like he does a much better job of that than me even in really kind of looking at that piece of the game. And, you know, it's I don't know if it's one third of the game, but it certainly is a very important piece of the game. Yeah, and as a Chargers fan, you do not need to extol the virtues of good special teams play to me. But I do think that as we touch on special teams, it's interesting because something that I've seen some good research on indicates that kind of like we talked about with defense and offensive line performance not being sticky year over year. Special teams can be particularly fickle year over year. And I know we've seen Bill Belichick for most of his tenure with New England. They've stayed at the top for a reason. A team like the Chargers, maybe they've stayed at the bottom for a reason. It's not that, you know, teams are immune from some level of stability for better or worse, but generally there is a good bit of fluctuation. So while Seattle was really good in special teams last year, is there any underlying logic that you see for this continuing, or is that something that could also possibly regress back to the norm for them? Me? I have no idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, you would think if a perfect field goal kicker, you know, was going to be pretty good year after year, and punting seems consistent from year after year. So, uh, you know, obviously the uh, punt return and kickoff differentials were pretty solid. You know, how far, you know, it doesn't seem likely that they would reverse themselves significantly. So it, that seems probably like one of their most consistent parts to their game, along with their their offense. So uh, the defense is what's going to be the wild card here. 
Yeah, it's it's so interesting because you laid out some points why special teams seems like it should be predictive in some ways. I, I don't know exactly why it, it tends not to be for a lot of teams, but again, there are there are some exceptions out there, and Seattle might be one of them. And one thing I wanted to circle back on that might be related to their special team success. Scott, you mentioned that Pete Carroll is a very good coach. And I'm sure that some people watching this on YouTube or listening to this in podcast form would vehemently disagree. He seems to be a polarizing coach for some reason. So uh, there are plenty of reasons why people like to pick him apart. I know the offense being, you know, run heavy. And I know they did let Russ cook, so to speak, for a bit last year. But when you say that Pete Carroll is a very good coach, I want to give you a chance to clarify that, knowing that some people would have a pretty strong knee-jerk reaction the other way. Well, you know, when I look at, you know, first of all, you've got offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and obviously the buck stops with the head coach. But when I look at a head coach, I'm not so much looking at it from a coaching perspective as you would think uh, a play-by-play, but I'm thinking it more from a leader standpoint. Pete Carroll is a great leader. Um, now you can you can agree disagree with you know what's what happens on the field, um, but the leader you know we, we I, I don't remember which division we were talking about. Oh, I, we I think we were talking about the NFC East, and I was saying Ron Rivera is a great leader. Look at what Ron Rivera did with that club that is essentially been dictated by Daniel Snyder year after year and just a mess. And, you know, the GM might have been part of the, the being a mess. Uh, but Alston Rivera goes in there and this team seems to be Ron Rivera's team. He is, you know, and, and, and Snyder had a whole bunch of other legal issues and all that stuff last year. So who knows where that played in, in, into this as well. But I just look at it from a leader standpoint. I think Pete Carroll is a very good leader. I think for the most part, he has his team uh, and the team hears his message. And, you know, more so from that, I agree. You you can you can question some of the things they've done offensively and whether that's the offensive coordinator. And obviously it all stops with Carroll from that perspective. But I think Pete Carroll is a great leader. And at the end of the day, your coach has to be a great leader uh, in my mind to, to really succeed. And, and that's I'm speaking more of it along those terms than, than anything else. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for that context. As a USC grad, I know I'm biased, so I, I like leaving it to you to speak to his magnetic personality. And of course, we need a baseline level of competence from any head coach in the league, but the ability to maybe play more of that CEO role and um, be able to delegate other responsibilities, that can ultimately be a big piece of the pie as well for some of these teams, nailing it from an organizational standpoint. So I think on that note, that about wraps up what we can speak to for Seattle and in turn the entire NFC West. We can take one more look at a graphic if you're watching this on YouTube, overlaying the division odds to take a look at some outrights. Again, a lot of teams up near the top, even Arizona is not entirely out of it, but we're looking at, uh, I guess, in order, we can call the Niners a slight favorite, but they're still plus 175. The Rams right on their heels at plus 200, Seattle plus 250, and Arizona plus 500. But as we talked about off the top, if Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury can really help the team take the next step, uh, they're not out of it by any means either. So this is a pretty cutthroat division. We don't have any bets to break down. I think there's a lot of really good food for thought. And at this stage, maybe more of a watch and learn approach with, you know, Chris mentioned this being another Yahtzee division, but the NFC East, more of a Yahtzee division historically because it can be a bit of a dumpster fire. This has a lot of really good teams. We could see a lot of really high-quality football coming out of the NFC West in 2021. And on that note, I think that's going to wrap things up for us today. I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the BetUS NFL show. If you have any thoughts or questions or suggested topics for future videos, go ahead and let us know in the comments of this video on YouTube or reach out to us on Twitter if you're listening to this in podcast form. Speaking of Twitter, you can follow Chris at Las Vegas Chris. That's spelled C-R-I-S. You can follow Scott 
at Sixth Sense NFL, and you can find me at MLandis18. And for those watching on YouTube, you know the drill. Go ahead and subscribe to the BetUS YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell so you don't miss out on any of the action. And if you like what we're doing, and if you've made it this far, odds are you do like what we're doing, go ahead and give this video a thumbs up. And last but not least, don't forget to use the promo code NFL2021 when signing up at BetUS to claim your 125% signup bonus, exclusive for sports betting, good up to $2,500. All right, everyone, thanks again for tuning in. That'll do it for us for now. We'll see you soon right back here at BetUS, where the game begins.